This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. This episode is brought to you by Physician CEO. Finally, a business program for busy doctors just like you. Get the skills of branding, marketing, entrepreneurship, and combine those with your gifts as a physician. Be known as a doc outside the box and define your future. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Yo, yo, what's good, everyone? Thank you for tuning in and happy holidays to you all. I hope you all are safe. I hope you all are with loved ones. And this is the come up segment. I don't know if y'all remember, but the come up segment is a segment that I started earlier this year to highlight stories of docs who are really early in their journey to becoming docs outside the box. They're very early in their steps, but these stories are meant to inspire you all to get off the fence and start your journey no matter what point you are at. It's kind of like, Trying to identify with someone who's on step five as opposed to someone who's on step 100 or 1000. It's a lot more palatable, right? And you all have told me how much you enjoy these episodes, how inspiring you found them. So I decided to go ahead and just continue them. But this one is going to be our last one for 2019, and it's going to be a good one. So I want you to meet Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley. She is an orthopedic surgeon who is on the West Coast, and she is very busy, but she is very successful. She is a speaker, she's a writer, and now she is taking her social media game to another level with her YouTube videos, as well as with her blog. And if she's not busy enough, which it sounds like she already is, but she is also one of the team doctors for the U.S. ski and snowboarding team. Now, on this episode, we're going to talk more about the circuitous path that she took to becoming a doctor. I'm talking about the non-traditional path that she took after being weeded out Y'all remember that, getting weeded out during the pre-med years at UCLA. Um, we're also going to hear about getting over imposter syndrome for her, as well as, and this is going to be a good one. I want you guys to pay attention to this one, the cost of inaction, all right? This is going to be a good one. I know you're tired of me talking, but whether you're a pre-med student or you're a seasoned veteran doctor, you're going to learn something from this. I want you all to listen to this. I want you all to pass this along to someone who you know is half-stepping. That's right, someone who's on the fence saying that they got all these plans to get started to be a doc outside the box and they never take those first steps. I want you to pass this along to them. Share this with someone who can definitely benefit from this. And without further ado, I present the come up with Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley. Let's get it. Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's up? What's good? How you doing? I am great. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I have you here because you are the first guest of our new segment, which is called The Come Up, where we're talking to physicians who are starting their journey in an outside-of-the-box fashion, doing things that normal physicians don't do, but are early in their 
career or arc in that. Although, you know, you have an outside of the box path right now, you also have an outside of the box path with your path into becoming a physician, which I think, you know, a lot of people right now want to listen to or should be listening to. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're practicing right now, what's your specialty, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Sounds great. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I did a fellowship in sports medicine and arthroscopy, and I practice here in Portland, Oregon. I'm in private practice. I've been here practicing for about eight years. I'm a partner in a group of three surgeons, and I'm also a mom. And as you mentioned, I have irons in multiple fires, so I do a bunch of different things. Yeah, I see you're doing a lot of different things. You know, one of the things that I read about you on your website, which is pretty impressive, Nancy MD, you can get there through what nancymd.com, I believe. You know, one of the things that's really interesting is that you're really open about your outside of the box path, your non traditional path into becoming a physician. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because you're originally from Cali, you went to UCLA, but take it from there because it's really interesting from that point onwards. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California. And even though I was born in New Jersey, I think my parents hightailed it out of there because of the winters. Where in New Jersey? Because I'm from New Jersey. (laughs) Freehold. (laughs) All right. I grew up in Irvington, right? Not too far from Newark. Having left at three months, I have no idea where Irvington is. I'm so sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You, You California, you're born and bred Cali, basically. I know. Pretty much, yeah. We moved over there when I was only three months, I think three or four months old but pretty much grew up in Southern California. And then I went to UCLA as an undergrad. And I think I went in with the notion that, hey, maybe I'll try to be pre-med. Maybe I'll go to medical school and not for the right reasons. Yeah, I like to joke around that it's because I'm Asian and I have Asian parents. So that's kind of the default. But you know, I think I ended up there many, many years later for the right reasons. And my initial motivation was not for the right reasons. So I went into UCLA and promptly got weeded out of pre-med track. I walked into my first biology class and there were 600 people in my class and everyone wanted into pre-med. So I took a different path. I ended up a psych major. I just kind of went with what was interesting to me at the time. I had a great time in college. I think it was a big part of my personal development, but ended up with a 2.99999 at graduation. So that clearly is not good enough for medical school. It's actually not good enough for a whole lot of things. (laughs) I mean, that's a three. Rounding up. Yeah, it's a three. I like to say that. So, you know, I definitely took a non-traditional path into medicine, you know, for those reasons. After college, I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do at the time. At the time, I really liked the snowboard. So I said, hey, why don't I get an interesting life experience going into the snowboard industry? So I did a little bit of sales and marketing for a little tiny snowboard company. It was exploding at that time, the industry. And worked for, I'm pretty sure, minimum wage, which I'll tell you at the time was about like $9.50. That's how much it's going to age me. And of course, living in LA, I commuted about an hour and 15 minutes to my job. Wow. You know, and I did that for a little while. From there, I ended up in a really interesting experience where a relative of mine recruited me to come help them out. They needed 
someone to help organize their conferences and classes. And this was in the area of Qigong or Chinese, a form of Chinese medicine. It's kind of related to Tai Chi and all of that. You said Qigong? So, yeah, yeah. Did I say it right? You said it right. All right, cool. I was, I was dead on. So I organized these conferences and traveled around and even did a little bit of, you know, speaking in front of the class, helping with interpretation. And that got me really interested learning a lot about complementary forms of medicine. And when I thought about it, I was like, you know what, that is one piece of the puzzle. I even took some acupuncture classes at the time. It renewed my interest in going into medicine, into Western medicine. And that time was when I did it for the right reasons, because I realized this is the path I want. I do really want to take, not just because it's what people do, right? At age 17, I was thinking that's what people do. So that's why I'm going to go into pre-med. And so I was working full-time. I did my post-bac classes. I pieced together whatever I could as somebody who wasn't enrolled in a program. I think I went to about four different universities to get all of my classes and requirements together while studying for the MCAT, while traveling and working. I was hustling. I had to hustle, you know, and somehow I pulled it off. (laughs) It's really different when you have a different perspective and you go into it a little bit more mature. I didn't obviously with the 29999, I obviously didn't get great grades at UCLA. But when I went back into it with a purpose, I pretty much got all A's and I did well on the MCAT. So the potential was always there. I just needed the purpose. You know, it's funny you mentioned that I was a non-traditional student also. And I think that, you know, somewhere in the stars, it was worked out that I should have taken two years off because, you know, when I was applying the first time, I just thought, you know, you just survive and you get into medical school and then you struggle. And then whatever happens, happens, right? And I think I was just mentally setting myself up to not do well in school. But once I took two years off, there was this hunger that kind of built. And then once I got in, this passion that built and this purpose. And then once I got in, you know, I did very well because I enjoyed what I was studying for once. But there was also this chip on the shoulder that I had. Did you happen to have something similar where you had a chip on your shoulder when you were studying? Or was it mainly just that purpose, that passion that was driving you through? I think it was a little bit of both. There were people who told me I was too old. You know, it's too hard. You're never going to get in. You don't have any research, you know. And I think that's one of the things that does drive me is when I think I want to do something and someone tells me I can't, that'll make me work a whole lot harder. And that kind of ties into how I ended up in orthopedics as well. That's about to say. I I mean, you taking it to the extreme. (laughs) Yeah. You know, even once I was in and I discovered ortho and I was like, huh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There were a lot of detractors. There were many people who said you can't go in for one reason or another or you shouldn't. And that drove me even harder. Mm. And now a word from our sponsor. Meet Dr. Arthur Cummings. He's a busy ophthalmologist practicing all the way in Dublin, Ireland. Recently, he finished physician CEO. Check out what got him to jump on the transatlantic flight to participate in this program. My initial response would simply be just do it. This is one of those programs that is so good. It's very likely to be the best education you've ever received. And you realize then as a physician, 
how little we really know about our businesses, even though we're running businesses that are quite large. And the level of training is so fantastic, the education is so good, the faculty is immaculate, and you're in a group of people who are like-minded. So just the entire environment is an amazing learning experience and really a good incubator for growing your practice. So if you're a physician who's looking to start your own venture or even lead your practice or department, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. So now that you got a chance to look back, you're successful with pediatric surgeon. You know, there's a lot of people right now listening who are in that non-traditional path. You know, they are considering changing their careers or they're in the process right now of applying. What kind of advice do you have to those non-traditional pre-meds right now listening to the show? I think, especially coming from me where, you know, I took several years off, it's really never too late. If you identify something that you are passionate about, then you got to go for it. Now, of course, you don't just dive into it blindly. It takes some methodical planning, but don't let that hold you back. Mm, I love it. I love it. You know, the big thing also that I think you've talked about this in a Kevin MD blog post is acknowledgement and addressing fear head on. You know, can you talk more about that? Because I think that's one of the biggest things that when I talk to non-traditional pre-meds or people who've taken time off, you know, they get concerned that they've taken time off and they just sit and churn and focus mm-hmm. on being, you know, rejected again. And meanwhile, right. time is wasting. Time is wasting. So mm-hmm. can you talk mm-hmm. about that? You know, change is scary, right? Fear of rejection is scary. There are a lot of things out there when we think about doing something new that are very scary. And fear can really be paralyzing sometimes. But, you know, a lot of what will ultimately determine your success in pursuing a goal is your mindset. And I really have done a lot of thought and I've done a lot of reading into this. I'm very interested in it. But the science of fear, the concept of imposter syndrome is another thing that I write about. Preach. Talk about that one. That's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But here's a thought that I had come across and it really just struck a chord with me is that you can be afraid of something, you can fear something, but what is even scarier is the thought of what would happen with inaction. Mm, What if you didn't take action? You know, look at your life five years from now, 10 years from now, you're not going to be in a place that you want to be if you don't just take that leap. And you know, a lot of different authors and speakers talk about it, like there's Mel Robbins in the 54321 and, you know, different ways of thinking about that. But, you know, in my mind, I think about just having somebody, something or thought give you that nudge. I liken it to standing on your tippy toes at the edge of the diving board at the pool. You know, it's like you can stand there and you can stare at the water and you can think about how cold it might be or how you might belly flop and it might sting. But all you need is that little tiny tip of a push to take that leap. And so I think having that in mind is a big piece of overcoming fear and the fear of change. Mm, That's a really good point. I love that analogy or the metaphor that you use. You know, every Friday or... The majority of Fridays, I try to have people talk for five minutes about ways in which they've been able to get over past procrastination and, you know, insecurity and all those different things. And, you know, the theme and the weave is very similar to what you're saying. 
you know, and I'm really interested in you breaking barriers as a woman, going into orthopedic surgery, you know, pushing past fear. Because now, not only are you orthopedic surgeon, you're private practice, you're killing it. You're also the team physician for the U.S. ski and snowboard team. Talk to us about that. Well, there are over 200 of us, so I'm not the physician. So I'm part of a physician pool. It's something that I... You could have just kept us in the dark about that. (laughs) That would have been awesome, actually. That is not my my style. (laughs) As soon as I had the opportunity to, it was at the end of my residency. I knew this was out there. I applied. And of course, they they do the background check and everything. They don't want any any psychos. taking care of our nation's athletes, right? But it's a volunteer position. Every two, I think it's every two or three years, you can remain active in the pool if you volunteer for an event. And I'm very lucky being here in Oregon. We have beautiful Mount Hood here. We have a glacier up there, Palmer Glacier, that stays snowy all the way through the summer. And so the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team will do their summer camps out there. And so I've had the great opportunity to be the on-site team physician for the U.S. snowboard cross team when they do their summer training. And as a team physician for the U.S. ski and snowboard teams, you can also travel with the team to go to their competitions. That's a really fun thing to do as well. And it's just a great honor to be able to take care of these world-class athletes. It's something I've always wanted to do. Going back to my love of snowboarding, right? And my very say, first job. Very contrasted, yeah, <laughs> minimal wage back then to how you're doing right yeah, now. It's like great yeah. to compare these, you know, these athletes. Yeah. So I went from minimum wage to nothing because it's volunteer, but I love it. <laughs> right? So, yeah. yeah, no, it's totally, I'm joking, but, you know, it's totally an honor and it's a lot of fun to be able to do that and use my skills and also be out there in a sport that I love and enjoy and have for a very long time. So what exactly kind of set the spark for you? You know, because becoming a physician, it's a big deal, but it seems as though like there's something more that you want that you're attaining for, you know, like you're seeking this quote unquote, becoming a Renaissance woman. Like what is sparking you to do that? Because now you are public speaking, you work with Rodan and Fields, you know, you have a nice website where you're talking about inspiring other people to do, you know, amazing things that's within themselves. Talk to us about that. Where is all this coming from? I think as we get entrenched in our medical careers, you go through medical school and you go through residency and obviously, you know, a certain amount of time and very focused time needs to be put into it to become an expert in your area, right? Is it the 16,000 hour rule that they talk about where you have to have a certain number of time and experience to really be good at your trade? So I think along that pathway, it's very easy for us as physicians to become, you know, I don't want to say it in a negative way, but you know, there is a risk of becoming a one-trick pony, right? All we do is medicine. And it's very sad sometimes you see people neglect other parts of their life and other pieces of themselves because they have given so much to medicine. And I feel that there is a way to be a master of your trade, which is medicine, while at the same time developing the other parts of you that you're passionate about and still be good at what you do. And so that's been my own personal quest in trying to find my inner Renaissance woman, not just being a surgeon, but also being good at being a mother 
being a public speaker, being somebody who inspires others to kind of achieve the same thing. And so that's sort of the basis of where I came up with this finding your inner renaissance man or woman concept. And I like speaking to it and encouraging others to pursue the same. I'm interested. What do you think is the hardest part now? Because I'm sure you look back now and you realize probably orthopedic surgery is the easiest thing to fall back on, right? Because you've trained so long to do that. And now that you're kind of taking this outside the box approach, maybe doing other things like public speaking, writing on your blog, or even doing YouTube channels may be a little bit more difficult because there's a learning curve. Out of those things, what do you find to be the most difficult out of all of those things outside of orthopedic surgery? Well, I think out of those things, maybe the what had traditionally generated the most fear for me was the public speaking mm-hmm. and sort of tying into that being on video. And when You're I talk natural about- on YouTube, you need to give <laughs> more credit for that. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. But you know, it's funny, a lot of people are very surprised to find that I had a phobia of being on camera and public speaking. Like when I was in class, and this was all the way up through you know, from the time I was small all the way up through medical school, I would be terrified, terrified if anybody ever called on me. And to get up in front of the class to say anything really, it kind of freaked me out. So when I sort of transitioned into doing more public speaking, which, you know, as a resident, as a medical student, you have to do presentations. I was still very fearful of that. But then as an orthopedic surgeon, once I was in my career, I was asked by the hospital to do this thing called OrthoWatch, where I would speak to an auditorium full of high school students that wanted to go into medicine and then live broadcast one of my surgeries and then do a debrief with them afterwards. They would all be downstairs from the hospital and watching the surgery. And I found that in the process of doing that, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm. And I found it actually, especially when I was in my OR talking about the ACL surgery, I was in my element. And I realized that, you know, this is my wheelhouse and I should be able to talk about it. And it's fun to me. I don't want to say I got over my fear, but I was able to face my fear and manage my fear of public speaking in that moment. And I realized I liked it. And so that was where I made a decision. I was like, you know what? I like doing this. I like inspiring people. So I'm just going to dive in. I mean, kind of like that same jumping off of the diving board analogy, right? I dove fully in. And since I did and actually put myself out there as, hey, I'm available to speak on these various topics ranging from bone and joint health to motivation and becoming a renaissance woman, etc., that I've been invited to speak in a number of different opportunities. And then I find myself here. It's like, here I am. I love it. And this is great. I really once again want to appreciate you for, you know, writing in to come be on the show and to be the first guest of the come up, because I think it's important for us to really acknowledge people who are, you know, going through that process. And maybe they may not be at stage 100, but maybe at stage 20 or stage 30. But we all can learn from each and every one, particularly those who are even at stage one or thinking about it. You know, it's a lot easier to relate to someone who's at stage five than someone who's at stage 100. So I want to thank you again for coming on the show. So listen, how can people, one, find out about you, follow you, and also reach out to you? 
So I'm on the web at www.nancymd.com. And as you mentioned, I also have a YouTube channel that is also NancyMD. You can search NancyMD and be able to find me. I'm active on Instagram and Twitter. And my handles on there are at underscore NancyMD. You know, afterwards, I think you're going to have to show me how to get my Instagram game up. Yours is fierce. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. (laughs) 